One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 224 of the Morning Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Or near Seattle, Washington, I think, right? <laughs> I mean, the distance away is really only meaningful if you're in the Seattle area itself. Kind of like that, um, oh, right, okay. that SNL skit with Mike Myers, like, I'll tell everyone I'm from Dublin, but I'm not from Dublin, I'm from, you know, Worcestershire or something. It's really close, but it's not... Dublin, you know, it's that sort of thing. I'm, I'm te- technically speaking, not in Seattle proper. I'm in the right, birds. Right. Of course, you know, Mike Myers is from Scotland, not from Ireland, right? He was doing a bit as some sort of. Oh, I, guess. I can't remember. I can't remember what the SNL bit. It was like some rock star or something who's uh, well, like a Irish and he says he's yeah, from Dublin, yeah. then it turns out he's actually not. He's from some suburb of Dublin. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm from a suburb of London, by the way. So hey, I mean, do we have any Ask MTJC? <laughs> we do. We have one from friend of the show, Mike Hendley. He says invoking Siri and saying settings when in an app will bring you directly to the settings for that app. Cool. To give that a try. Yeah. I actually just opened my, my, my house door yesterday. I just said, hey, Siri, unlock the door. And it did, which is cool. But that said, there's something we'll talk about in the show. Oh, well, this, is, this is actually uh, related to something else that, so there's within the app, there's a, you can, you can pop open the settings app by uh, opening the URL with a certain key. Yeah. And it used to just take you to either the top of the settings app, or there were sort of uh, you know, params you could put in to go to different places within settings. Well, that's all been deprecated, and you're, in fact, you won't get approved if you use those anymore, as I found out the hard way. Uh, but I mean, now they have a custom key, uh, and when you use that custom key, it does exactly this. It takes you to the settings for the app in the settings app. So probably all this is doing is invoking that open URL with this key, which is, like I said, the only way to open settings 
now from inside of an iOS app. Oh, so it takes you from, takes you, you mean like if you're in an app and you see settings, it'll take you to the settings of that app in particular, or do you have to set an intent for that? I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about Siri in particular. I'm talking about inside an app now. Yeah. So when you use the open URL with the key to go to settings, right? I don't know if you've ever done that, but this is how, mm-hmm. you know, the, the normal way of opening the settings app from inside your app. Yeah, right, right. I gotcha. So, yeah. so now it, the only place you're legally allowed to go, uh, it legally in terms of app store approval, uh, and it does it automatically is the settings for your app. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So that's probably just what Siri is doing here. But, but he's talking about in this case, well, we talked about in the show, but he, what he's talking about here is if you just invoke Siri and say settings, it takes you to the main landing page of the settings app. That's what that tip is talking about. That's what mm. I'm talking about too. Yeah. Yeah, but you were saying that you used to use the open URL to go to your own settings, right? Or no? So say you're in an app, your own yeah. app, and you call the open URL with the key for settings. It takes you to the settings for your app. So what he's saying is you have Siri do that and it takes you to the same place. So I'm, my point is just that uh, it seems, my guess is that all Siri is doing is calling that URL. Oh, I see what you're saying, Ray. I get URL. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? So like if you're in an app and you invoke it, oh, let's try that. Yeah, that worked for me. So I did it from the mail. I opened the mail app and then I said settings and it took me to the mail app settings page. Yeah. And it's cool. I get, I get what you're saying about the open URL thing. Yeah. I got some different behavior. So from the home screen, say settings to it, to Siri, and it will take you to the overall settings. Um, right. Because you're not inside an app. That makes sense. 100% makes sense. I went to Twitter and it said, sorry, something wrong has happened. All right. I went to Feedly. It worked. It took me to Feedly's settings. I went to Facebook, said, sorry, something bad happened. And I uh, went to um, LinkedIn and that one took me to LinkedIn's particular settings. I thought going to settings was was kind of tricky. Remember, because remember we had all those, um, you know, you would tell somebody, hey, you need to set, turn on locations and they would give you like instructions on how to get there. They couldn't necessarily navigate you to there. I guess, can you do that now if you use open URL in your app somewhere, like an app delegate or something? There used to be a way to take you to exactly the right place in settings. Uh, like if you want to go to the Wi-Fi screen or to uh, yeah, the location screen or whatever, notification screen, you could, you could do that. But that's not allowed anymore. Oh, really? Okay. As far as I can tell, the only place you can go is your own app settings. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. There were like secret keys and stuff that people reverse engineered and used. I don't think they were ever approved, but Apple eventually started cracking down on them. And so that tip we had from Joe's article the other week was use this thing that they've given you that's officially blessed, but it, it only takes right. you to your app settings. It doesn't take you to like specifically notification settings for your app. It's oh, like did you talk all the about stuff that in a recent show? I, that I, maybe I wasn't there for that because I've I ran into that exact same issue not too long ago. Maybe, I don't remember. Maybe Greg was on it. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Well, I tried it out as soon as I saw it. I just I just from the from a lock screen. I just said settings and it took me right in there. But that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's funny. I was just uh, I was the, there's a tutorial on RayWonderlake.com right now about uh, using Siri shortcuts like writing you know intents and all that kind of stuff and how to trigger different parts in your app. So I was playing with that the other day. And so there'll they'll, they'll be a, bit, a little bit of follow up here in one of the article points that uh, we'll be talking about a bit later. So yeah. Well, we have some fact check from last week. So we were talking about the Doctor Who episode where they talked about uh, Indian partitioning. And I was working from the information from our friend of the show, Jay, uh, Jayant Varma, who's one of the Ray Runner like uh, Wendy's. And um, he uh, he said, oh, in his he, after listening to the show, he realized that he'd made a typo. It wasn't the 14th and the 25th. It was actually the 14th and 15th of whatever day that was in 1947, I think it was. Uh, he says, now I'll be the famous writer who got it wrong, rolling on the floor, laughing emoticon. Um, <laughs> the writer's 
excuse is that the Independence Days are correct, but enforcing of partitioning was on the 17th, as referred into in the episode. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't remember talking about the 17th. I guess we read that from Wikipedia, right? I think we went to go look it up when it was brought up that the Doctor Who episode of the partitioning of India and Pakistan was incorrect somehow, and that's what got us started down this path. Yeah, and I suppose we we really did our due diligence to go back and watch the episode again and find out what they actually said, but, you know, oh well, we'll leave that to the the scholars. Anyway, (laughs) right, so Jaime, has some uh, follow-up on um, Apple Music here? Yeah, um, starting December 17th, Apple Music will be available on Amazon's Echo speakers. Kind of similar to the way you can link Spotify and other providers. Um, This seems to make a lot of sense to me because as they try to drive that overall um, revenue per customer metric rather than, you know, assuming that we can sell more and more iPhones every year, if you kind of tap out. I mean, I don't know that it means anything distinctly negative for the HomePod other than it sort of hurts a lot of the, you know, the... The mojo, yeah. It's a lot of the uniqueness of it. I mean, the it was both a strength and a weakness to me that the HomePod has Apple Music integration. Um, right, right. I, I suppose if I had an Amazon Echo, sorry, if I had a Sonos that had integration with Alexa, I might feel differently. I don't know that any of Amazon's, you know, first party Echoes have the sort of sound quality that would really make me think differently about HomePod. Um, I, I just think this is, makes a ton of sense in terms of Apple trying to drive that services part of the business where they make, you know, more and more money from each user rather than trying to acquire more and more users. Um, they already have Apple Music available on Android. So, yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, because I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, but you know, I kind of, I'm avoiding the Amazon products because I don't really want, I'm not really interested in them trying to pr- promote selling stuff to me, right? Um, which is kind of w- how I see that product, I guess. I don't know. I just, I get that it's a, like a personal assistant kind of thing, like like the Google Home or the HomePod is supposed to be, right? So that's, and by the same token, I haven't bought a HomePod yet because I don't have, I currently haven't signed up for Apple Music, right? And I think it, from what I hear, it's not really via, valuable to people without Spotify or Apple Music, right? What do you think about those? The Bitcoins? HomePod itself, I mean, yeah, I think the HomePod is like half the value if you don't, um, if you don't have some sort of music playing through it. Um, it it's okay. You know, Siri, we were talking about it. It's nice. I wouldn't say you know, so far behind the competitors as to be completely out of the question, but it doesn't lead the pack in any particular way, um, except for privacy. I'd, I'd be remiss if I'm not mentioning that. That's true. But in, yeah. terms, of, in terms of usability, um, I, I do think, you know, it's pretty much there. And um, I don't know, the music just is just so great coming out of HomePod that it's it's really hard to turn that down. But I could see that if you don't want to put the money down for a HomePod because it's significant, right? It's like three forty nine still, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. But if you're thinking like, yeah, you know, I, I have an iPhone and an iPad, I sure would like to have something better in terms of music. Um, and maybe you're not looking for a full hi fi setup because again, price. Amazon has tons of devices that are reasonably priced that you could you could buy and, and use this with. Right? Can you AirPlay to your to your HomePod from your phone or something? that or you can but it's not as uh sort of seamless i mean i should take it back it is very seamless it, it works beautifully just like you would expect airplay 2 to work um but it's not the same as being in the kitchen and your hands are dirty because you're cutting chicken right preparing dinner and saying hey play chopin or play the best of prince or play the top songs of 1972 because yeah, you right. have to go manipulate the phone to do that and, and not a terrible inconvenience but it's kind of inconvenient 
that's a huge reason for having these uh, voice-controlled speakers. And have you seen the commercial for the Google Home thing that's been on? It's like a little iPad that sort of sits up in your kitchen or whatever. You mentioned the kitchen because aren't they like sort of saying that you know you, you fumble your phone but you won't fumble the the the, uh, the home? What's it called? The home? What do they call that? That thing? The new screen thing? That the Google Home Hub. Home Hub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have one of those, or you don't have one? I I don't. Um, it, I've seen it in person at uh, at a random place, Bed Bath and Beyond, where I was this weekend, and really? it's surprisingly tiny. It, it's I wouldn't even call it like an iPad, even though that's sort of how it appears in the videos that they show, the animated videos. You notice they don't show it like in real life. It, okay. Um, what would I compare it to? Like a mini? Or it like is a, about like... this. No, it's about the size of like a plus sized phone, maybe a little bit larger than that. Oh, really? It's not okay. definitely not as big as an iPad mini, much less a normal iPad. Surprisingly, surprisingly small little device. It's kind of more like a like a Honeywell thermostat. Right. Yeah. Okay. And is the, the magic of that that has a touch screen or something? Is that what the, the big deal is? Yeah, it also displays. So it gives you Google Assistant capability similar to like a Google Home or a Google Home Mini. Um, home automation that goes through the assistant is part of that. It's got a, the display looks nice. So if you're you got it in the kitchen, say, how's the weather going to be this week? You just turn around and look at it and say, oh, okay, I, I missed Thursday because I was distracted. Well, I was speaking it, but I can see you know, Thursday is going to be 35 degrees Fahrenheit or something. Right, right. Okay. Um, so circling back to the Amazon Echo, does it support Spotify and future, in future it'll, it'll support Apple Music? That's a story here, right? Does it also support like apps like TuneIn and stuff like TuneIn Radio and things like that? Or Yeah, know? that's kind of the interesting thing in terms of the strength for Amazon and that everything integrates with um, Alexa. Um, all sorts of things. Home automation-wise, by far the largest variety of things, um, you know, types of, of Internet of Things devices, as well as the number of companies, just huge. It's it's enormous. Like, they are very clearly leading the pack there. And right. maybe half as many things integrate with a Google Home and Google Assistant. And it feels like a very tiny slice of things integrate with HomeKit. With that said, um, the HomeKit things presumably are better secured, if only because Apple, for a very long time, had that uh, security chip requirement that now they've said, okay, it doesn't have to be this physical device or physical chip. Now you can run this uh, particular software-based solution to lower price. But that did have an impact of, like, if you go search online, there were just fewer providers and fewer options. Not to say that there aren't a million terrible options. Go on Amazon.com. You'll find a million of them. They suck. <laughs> I've thrown away some of them. <laughs> but there are, like, tons of options uh, of varying quality. But everything integrates with Amazon and kind of successively fewer and fewer things with Google and uh, Apple. So it seems to be a rather you know, large feather in their cap that they've gone the, it's kind of the Microsoft route when I think about it, thinking back to the desktop where like Microsoft integrates with everything. If you want a top to bottom, you know, seamless solution, you go with Apple or how it feels. Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't plug and pray go with, with Microsoft, right? Yeah. Like a perfect example, um, and I apologize for going like really far in depth, but because it, it seems to illustrate the, the, the depth of things. So I have some smart plugs that I use to control various electronic devices in my house. And I also have a, um, I don't know what to call it. It's like a little infrared, um, not a receiver because it's the opposite. It shoots out infrared <laughs> rays, <laughs> beams, similar to a TV remote. And that's specifically what I use it for. I use it to say, hey, turn on the TV, you know, mute the volume um, on my television. And the Amazon Echo works 100% with that. The Google Home integrates with the smart switches as well. However, it does not integrate for reasons that are unclear to me with the TV remote thing that I just talked about. And none oh, of really? the things I just talked yeah. about, none of those things are HomeKit compatible. So even though I have all three devices in my home, that's sort of how it's played out for me. Yeah, there's a, 
that third-party bridge thing that you can um, you can run with um, uh, what's it called? It was like, I forget what it's called, but there's there's a um, like a homebrew app you can run on a mini that will integrate the stuff that doesn't support HomeKit. Uh, it'll make it'll make them support HomeKit, right? Like I use it for my Nest thermostat with my HomeKit. Yeah, I think that was a pick of the week for me, right? When, uh, a few episodes ago, or maybe many episodes ago. Right, right. Cool. All right. Um, so moving on, we have, uh, we have the next story is um, that app this came out uh, the three four days ago that um, there's officially have set the trial date for Apple versus uh, Qualcomm, um, and that is sometime next spring or summer, I think. Does it say here? Yeah, oh, April 15th, right? Um, and that's what we wouldn't talk about that. This is sort of follow-up because we talked about Qualcomm and Apple. There's some technologies that they've been arguing back and forth about uh, in the iPhones and things like that and cellular technologies, and uh, you know that's going to delay 5G, which leads us into the story that, uh, unless you guys have something to say about that before we, we segue into Jaime's story as well. I mean, it will be interesting to see these two very powerful companies going up against each other. Right, um, yeah. I think there's a big reason why Qualcomm is able to charge what it does, not really making a claim as to whether it's uh, right, wrong, or indifferent for them to do so, but um, they have a lot of power, even though maybe going into the next bit of story here, there is an alternative. And that is? You're talking about the your, your other um, Don't Expect 5G story? Yeah, so, you know, after being left out in the cold because they completely missed the mobile revolution, uh, Intel has been making a comeback, not making the primary processors, but making things like modem chips and other bits that would presumably go into things like a 5G. A lot of stories about, um, I want to say Verizon and AT&T are working with Samsung and maybe one other company on trying to get like the first 5G phone out there in consumers' hands. But right, yeah. uh, in this uh, Verge article here that's reporting on a Bloomberg report stating that uh, we really should not expect a 5G iPhone before 2020, which right. to me kind of um, kind of makes sense. I mean, on the one hand, there's also the, um, you know, Qualcomm is presumably the leader in this space and uh, they're having a little bit of a tiff, maybe a row with, with Apple. Um, but I think there's also the aspect of you don't normally see Apple jumping out ahead in this area where, hey, you've got this, you know, 4G LTE phone. Where can I use it? This one neighborhood in San Francisco. Right, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> who wants to have that for Christmas? I think it's you would expect to see the Android phones come out because everybody and their brother can make, you know, yet another device. And, you know, they're just getting started on these um, these demonstrations of the 5G network. And I think the rollout will take like a year or two. We're sitting here in December of 2018. Wouldn't surprise me if September of 2020, 5G iPhone comes out. It totally makes sense timing-wise. Cool. Yeah. I think you're you're right, Jaime, that uh, 2020 seems like sweet spot. Um, it doesn't seem, it, it doesn't necessarily imply that that it will happen in 2020 for, for the iPhone. I mean, it could be later, but it, but it sort of makes sense. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of network availability right now uh, right. for 5G. I mean, almost none right now. So it will take a long time to roll that out. So so even if there are Android phones in 2019 that have the capability, you know, there's not going to be anywhere to use it uh, for most of the year. So, yep, you know, I, I, I think it's not a, not a, a, a terrible thing. I mean, it gives Apple time to you know, let other people uh, work the bugs out before they before they ship something, which is not a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know if folks remember what it was like when the transition from 3G to 4G was just starting to happen. There were uh, Android phones out there pretty early. Yeah. They were either ginormous for the time. I think they'd be sort of middle-of-the-road-sized phones now, but enormous for the time when 
everything was, you know, the size of an iPhone 4, an iPhone 4S, three and a half inch screen. Um, and they also had terrible battery life, which is a big reason why they made them ginormous so they could have larger batteries in them. Oh. So you want to have, you know, a normal iPhone sized device with 5G and you want it to have good battery life. I think that's sort of where you have to wait for that, that technology to really mature to the point. And I think that's when Apple will step in. So it was the four, first 4G phone, was it the iPhone 5 or 5S? From Apple's five. one? Yeah, it was a 5. Yeah, I remember jumping off contract or off cycle from my 4S to my 5 when I wouldn't have been. Oh, really? D- mm. My two-year contract wouldn't be until the 5S if we were following that time. Right, right. I see. Okay. Yeah, I used to jump out every year, but I don't do it anymore. I can't afford it. Um, hmm, cool. Right, yeah, we talked about 5G a few episodes back. I was going to see if I can find some some facts about what the, the advantage of 5G was. There's a bunch of them, but I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. Um, okay. Um, so, Jaime, you got something here about uh, AirPods? Yeah. Speaking of wireless, the uh, wireless earbuds, known as the AirPods, are apparently coming uh, with a little bit of a spec bump here. They'll have uh, wireless charging support, possibly just in the case. Um, there might also be some newer internals in bits there. Um, supposedly some sort of upgraded Bluetooth uh, capability, but um, it seems more like a spec bump release with uh, this article saying here that Ming-Chi Kuo is tracking the supply chain and saying that it probably won't be until 2020 where we'll see some new iteration or design change to the AirPods. Yeah, speaking of um, wireless charging, my, I just noticed in the last couple of days, my um, iPhone 10, I have a key charger here, right? Like a third-party knockoff whatever charger. And it's it's not charging the battery as fast as it drains anymore. Mm. So it's just I just noticed the last couple of days I've been putting my phone on on the charger base and and uh, maybe that's again another reason why Apple's not rushing to market with their own uh, their own key chargers. But um, yeah, just an, just an odd thing. Like it's sort of you know it was it was magical when it worked and now it's now it's like I have to plug it into a lightning cable like with like an animal to get a decent charge on it. Just I just noticed in the last couple of days I don't know if it's the phone or or maybe the, the induction charger thing is worn out or on the on the device on the like the, the platen you put it on, right? So the yeah, I think the only way to watch, right? I mean, in the uh, in the phone, right? I don't know what the possible failure modes are, but debugging wise, would just try a different charger and see what happens. I think maybe there's something defective with the one that you have. Like that's the hope, right? That it's not the phone itself. Yeah, well, yeah, that would suck if it was, right? But yeah, but I mean, like there's there's no, I mean, and the, the readiness of other chargers is not you know available. I think I think I gave Jonathan the same one, so maybe I'll I'll, I'll ask him how his is doing. We have to find I have to find another charger. To see if uh, maybe I'll go to a, like a store and just throw it on there and see if it, well I just noticed like you know if it's at like 40% when I put it down I might pick it up and it'll be like a 38% so it's actually going down not up so mm-hmm. who knows hmm. who knows so is it actually doing anything I mean if you just put it on the desk does it go down at the same rate well it, it lights yeah maybe but it lights up uh, like it lights up when you when you have it on the sweet spot on the, the thing like you have to have it lined up with the with the circle thing in inside the phone because um, it's sort of it's sort of the middle of the back right you know the LED works. You just don't know if the actual charger works. Yeah, the LED works fine. It's right, great. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nice and bright. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the charger circuit's blown or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I don't think I spent more than twenty bucks on it, so I really am not you know in a position to complain. Really. Just yeah. Just I mean, odd would, that it would be an interesting test to just leave it on the desk and look at the rate for it to go down a couple of percent or whatever, how long it takes, and then put it on the charger and see if it goes goes down at exactly the same rate. Yeah, it would be, it would be interesting. Well, because because like I've been working from home the last couple of days. 
days because I have this cold. And, and uh, a lot of times when I'm in meetings, I'm on my phone. So I have, and of course, you know, because I have only one lightning port, you know, the headphone jack goes in the lightning port and then the, then I have to charge it on the base. Right. So, so of course I'm, I'm burning through juice because I'm on the phone, you know, and then I'm hopefully, hopefully trying to charge it at the same time. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I may, maybe it's not charging at all. Like uh, I, don't, I don't have another device I can test it with, but you know how sometimes when you put your watch on the, on the, the, the well, you maybe you don't know more because you don't have a watch, right? <laughs> if you don't line it up perfectly on the on the charger, uh, it doesn't. It, you, you think it's charging, but it, it actually doesn't. You know, so you have a watch, I mean, right? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. There's a little bit of a divot that you have to get it into, and it's pretty easy if you're in a rush to not notice that it's not right. lined up a in skew. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I have a watch at the office that I use, so I, I know what you mean. Okay, cool. Right. Well, yeah, wireless, more wireless charging is good, I guess, in the world. But um, you know, I, we're getting close to the holidays here. Um, maybe those are listeners out there can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskMTJC. What recommendations do you have? For chargers like, or, or Christmas yeah, presents in general? No, well, for, for wireless... Hanukkah presents. Uh, wireless charging, Qi-based charging that work with the iPhone 10 and, and 10s okay. and so forth. Is, uh, so is it Qi or Qi? It's Qi, right? I believe it is Qi. Qi, yeah. Yeah, okay. Although I'm very grumpy at the... Spell with an X, though, huh? I'm not wife. I've seen it with a Q. Oh, have you? Oh, okay, okay. E- Interesting. Yeah, but but either yeah. way, neither one of those uh, romanizes into the sound Qi, so I'm unreasonably grumpy at the linguist who came up with that. Um, well, it's like pho, like you know the the, the pho soup by uh, the Vietnamese. It's, it's actually, it's actually pho. Not pho. Yeah, pho. pho with kind of a raised raising tone. Pho. Oh really? Oh oh, like a question marky. Oh, kind of, cool. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And chi would technically technically be something like chi chi, although you might not be able to hear it to the headphone. Oh yeah, but, I forgot you speak you kinda, Mandarin. Yeah, you kind of stick your tongue down into your teeth, lower teeth, when you say it. Chi chi, something like that. Oh really? Huh. Yeah, I, I can there's, I can imagine. There's a, there's a billion Chinese people screaming at their at their uh, screens right now, saying I'm saying it wrong, of course. <laughs> yep. Well, you're, you're going to say it better than the rest of us. You, you, I think you studied Mandarin, right? Didn't you? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. You have to do a man, Mandarin um, after show note for us. Um, how? Outro. Huh? I said how, which means <laughs> which means okay in that context. <laughs> oh, you're such a trickster. Yeah. All right. Um, I just I just saw this one uh, just before we started taping. Uh, it came in today that uh, AT&T claims to be or is, is reported to be the first U.S. carrier to uh, support eSIM functionality on the iPhone XS and XR. I thought we had um, eSIM support on those American carriers. Or is it just Verizon? Well, they announced it at WWC and the phones have that capability, but uh, this is the first carrier that's now allowing it. Thanks. Oh, okay. Oh, the functionality was available. Yeah, but they hadn't really rolled it out yet. That right. was, that's what that this means? I think so, yes. Cool. Oh, that's good. That was a quick one. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Javier, what, you want to tell us about your GitHub poll story? Yeah, so the uh, the clickbaity title for this is uh, on Ars Technica, How I Changed the Law with a GitHub Pull Request. This is referring to the fact that Washington, D.C. in the United States of America, in the United States of America, has uh, made GitHub the authoritative digital source for D.C. laws. And in this particular example, it covers the fact that this one law um, has what's essentially like a typo in it. Like It was linking to the wrong um, section or subchapter or something. I forget what it was. Um, so he was able to go make the change uh, as a pull request. There is some sort of official representative, like a lawyer of some sort um, within the government that uh, can accept, you know, review and accept that. And that made the change to the law rather than sort of doing it, you know, paper-based wise. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of kind of neat. I also kind of really dig the idea that, uh, you know, we, we talk about um, 
our own sort of laws, the uh, App Store review guidelines. And we always come out every once a year to have like, hey, look, here's this site. Remember, it can give you the um, textual diff of what changed between this version and that version. And being able to do that with laws seems really cool too, instead of wondering like, wait, what did they change with this one? What what, what text exactly changed if I didn't want to go do the diff myself? Like, well, GitHub's really good at giving you that representation to see what changed from version to version and giving you some uh, some sense of the ebb and flow of the law over time. Right, cool. Yeah, neat, neat stuff. I was going to say, don't they have any peer review at the Law Society in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, yeah, people were <laughs> getting a little snarky in the comments, like, oh, look, like, I can just go instit- you know, institute a brand new law, like, you know, raise the minimum wage. And I was like, no, 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 it doesn't doesn't work that way. There's some rules around um, substantive change. Uh, in this case, the intent was very clear that this law was saying, hey, go check out Chapter 2. And it turns out, nope, what it actually meant was Chapter 3, because Chapter 2 is about transportation, and they were talking about, um, you know, food businesses or something, right? Like, it's, it's that level where the intent is clear, not hey, let's go um, give equal rights for everybody or change the minimum wage, you know, or take away voting rights. You know, it, nothing of that substantive nature uh, would, would go through this. This is more of a making sure that um, the digital versions of these things are working appropriately because apparently the, the actual um, bit of code or um, text that's being dealt with here is some XML files that ultimately get transformed into HTML for uh, which code of the District of Columbia site. Cool. All right. All right. So this is something we talked, we were going to talk about last week, but somehow we missed it. Um, and it basically is, it's, it's more news for, for, uh, uh women entrepreneur deve- who want to be iOS developers or at least work with Apple to build apps. But Apple's announced a new app development program to support women entrepreneurs. Um, a couple of different rules about it. You know, I have to have a, a, a woman developer on the team. You have to have a woman CEO, but I mean, it's basically a two week camp in Cupertino. Um, doesn't say anything about pricing. So maybe Apple's picking up the tab. I'm not sure. Um, it really interesting. It came, it came up today in, in conversation. One of our, one of my colleagues at work was asking me about whether she could apply for it and, and that kind of stuff. So I went and had a look at the, the site to sort of read a bit more about it. Um, but one of the other bonuses is that it also includes um, uh, up to two tickets to WWDC, which is kind of a cool thing. So there are they are accepting applications now. There's uh, starting in January of 2019, and there's a bunch of dates that they've listed that you can apply for if you're interested. But uh, yeah, it's all about Apple supporting um, women who are developing apps as, as a sort of company, as it were, right? So um, more power to you. That's good news. Um, all right. And then we were talking about Siri shortcuts earlier, and uh, I know I was looking at Twitter a couple of hours ago, and I noticed that Joe Chaplinsky had pointed out that some for some reason, uh, Siri shortcuts seems to have stopped working. And these are shortcuts that you invoke by, like you create an intent in your app, and, and you invoke these things by saying to Siri, like in the case of the Ray Wonder tutorial I was talking about earlier, or maybe I'm just talking about it now, I'm not sure how this is going to edit. But um, yeah, so you, you uh, write intents, um, and you, you put phrases in uh, in your app, and then it uses natural language processing and all that kind of stuff. And it talks to Siri in the cloud, apparently, to um, invoke whatever action you have in your app. And what what what, what uh, Joe had pointed out, and uh, you know, uh, Renny Ritchie chimed in, and uh, Frederick Vititi also chimed in 
that um, it doesn't seem to be working. And it was sort of sporadic. I mean, but just as we started the show uh, earlier today, um, Jaime noticed it wasn't working for him. It, I tried it earlier today. It, it, stuff that I was writing yesterday in, a, in one of those, going through one of the Ray Render tutorials that came out. And um, so it was working for me yesterday. And then, of course, you know, I hadn't changed anything in the app. And so I went to run them today. And, and uh, sure enough, they weren't working. So, so for instance, I had written in the tutorial, you write a, you, you're, it's like a um, note-taking app or an article posting app uh, as if you're writing a blog or something. And uh, so you say time to write or uh, write a new article and it should uh, take you to a, like a blank document in the app. But what it was doing was you were just returning back to me some news headlines from the Apple News app, right? So clearly things weren't working correctly. Yeah, it seemed to not be working for me. I was confused and thought maybe it was. I was actually triggering shortcuts yeah. from the um, the Siri shortcuts app, the shortcuts yeah. app, I should say, but trying to trigger ones that were set up from within apps. Like I get an example of Walmart and LinkedIn, um, sorry, not LinkedIn, uh, Google Assistant, and those did not work. So as of this recording, it's uh, it's still messed up for me. Well, here's trying just now. So just time to write. And yeah, okay, it's working for me now. So so the like the time to write was one of the one of the phrases you put in here, and uh, it just took me to a blank document. So it seems to be working for me now. But um, like a couple of hours ago, it wasn't working. It was working when you when you do like a home search. Like if you go to the home screen and pull down and uh, type in a phrase like you know same thing like time to write here. Yeah, it brings up like write write a new article, which is one of the um, the sort of shortcuts we we programmed into the app, right? So very strange. But I guess it, it sort of points out that uh, it's a, it, obviously it's a server based uh, service, right? Like it's not not happening in the phone. It's happening, you know, it has to dial up, up, up Apple. So there must have been some some issue, um, as uh, Randy Ritchie pointed out, or in the article we've got posted here points out that uh, Apple was aware of it and they seem to be working on it. So you want to try it again, Jaime, just now? I, I just did. And for, <laughs> to give you an example of the uh, assistant nuttiness I have here. So one that I found useful was to have the um, Google Assistant app, which I have on my phone. And they just recently, within the last um, couple of weeks or so, yeah. added Siri shortcut capabilities. So I could say, oh, I can have a trigger phrase for Siri that will bounce me over to the Google Assistant app and fire up the assistant, the Google Assistant, to start mm -hmm. listening for a command. And since, as I mentioned earlier, I have my home with uh, smart home stuff that has connectivity with the Google Home and, and Google Assistant, I was like, oh, it would actually be kind of convenient to be, you know, in my car, um, let's say, you know, 10 minutes away from my house, like, oh, yeah, let me let me turn on the lights um, and also get the heater warmed up, you know, get these other things started. Um, I didn't want to use just the, the OK followed by Google or Hey followed by Google because I might actually trigger it while I'm, you know, sitting on my couch or something. And I don't want both the Apple device and the Google Home device both trying to trigger the same action. So I was like, oh, Siri lets you do your own phrase. It could be banana bread. It could be happy fun time. I decided to say Google phone. And when I try Google phone now, rather than triggering the assistant as I would expect it to, Siri says, I'm going to do a web search for you. I am Googling for the term phone and that's not what I want. So clearly something is not happy in the Siri shortcuts land. Nice. Well, the TLDR on, on shortcuts, if you're, if you're driving at home or are curious about it, by the way, the name of the article that I was referring to is called Siri Shortcuts Tutorial in iOS 12, and it's on the Ray Renderlick site. Um, but yeah, essentially you um, use the NS user activity to to um, give uh, Siri shortcuts or Siri, it's also 
works with with handoff and spotlight searches but you you give them uh, parts of your actions in your app that that they can they can deal with so it's like an api kind of thing right um and then you write custom intents to sort of uh to create so you can communicate with your users through siri um using siri without ever having to open your app so um without having to go to app and you know create new document whatever you can just sort of say create a new my document whatever and it'll do it so quick little tutorial probably take you like you know maybe an hour to go through um and try it out first the service does have to be working for it to show you the full power right <laughs> using siri uh voice commands right mm-hmm. so it's cool yeah it's funny i'm using more and more shortcuts as, as time goes by but uh, and it sounds like uh from the 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 grief stricken tweets from um uh, Federico Fittici that that uh, you know he says he'd been writing an article all day and, and all of a sudden nothing's working so he was like his because he's he's I think he's one of those guys he's uh fully committed to iPad is that not correct yeah he has gone sort of whole hog into it so he's his, I think like an iPad pro and he has shortcuts and all sorts of you know workflow and clips and all these other things that make it feasible for him to do you know his productive professional work on right, just an right. ipad cool all right well that's uh that's a bit uh, frustrating for people that's why I was curious about it because because we we've, we've talked about it you know at work and and I kind of sort of knew about it but like until until Ray Wonderlick pub- published the uh, uh, the tutorial the other day it was like the number one article like they were, like just came out on Monday or Tuesday or whatever right um so I gave it a, I was sitting here at home you know under the weather with nothing else to do so I just I just tried it out right so it took me a, and you know you have to test it on a device and it requires a series working for you to use it so yeah yeah, yeah like we, we we did some stuff in kind of hackathon just for fun project stuff. And um, we learned about some, some pro tips. We learned about a lot of the tutorials out there uh, not being quite correct. Um, but one of the interesting positive things that was surprising to us was that you pretty much get watch interactivity and HomePod interactivity oh, really? for yeah. free. Yeah, cool. Like if you get it working on your phone or, or iPad, um, it'll just work, which is cool. I mean, it makes makes sense in a way, given the way it works. Well, that's why that's why yesterday when I was walking home, I, I just thought, well, let me try this and, and say, you know, to, the, to my watch, or my to my phone open the front door and open the pod bay door hal and and sure enough the pod bay door got opened right so i i mean i didn't even think about it i, I figured apple's got to have some series shortcuts in home kit right yeah prob- probably something like that um and as you sort of mentioned there the big problem for developers in terms of doing this and, and trying to iterate on it is you are completely at the mercy of any hiccups that happen with siri the siri service goes down temporarily your stuff's not going to work you know even when you're testing locally because it, it it appears to use real Siri in the simulator rather than just like, you know, doing some sort of uh, local simulation as they, they do with other things like GPS, for example. But yeah, I was the same thing happened to me was I was trying um what yes so yesterday was one of the parts of the tutorial was was um like the last part I forget what they called it but but it wasn't working for me and and you know when you get the tutorials from from Rayburn like they always give you the finished uh, version of the app so I fired up that one and that it, it got working so I must have missed a uh, something in the info p list or you know some app group or something was wrong or whatever right but but uh, yeah and then of course today if you're invoking Siri by voice you know there's issues with it because apparently the service is not working at the, at the moment for shortcuts apparently it, it did seem to work for the handful that i had doesn't mean it didn't work earlier maybe i'm just lucky and i'm not one of the affected people what do you mean like like uh like if i ask it the, the time and stuff like that that kind of stuff works or we're opening the settings app right because i think those are probably local but um like if you had like i'd written one in a tutorial you write one called time to write let me just see if i can do it now time to write yeah let's see it's working now so they must have they must have toggled the, the server switch or whatever it was rebooted this the, the uh, siri workflow server <laughs> windows nt server come on that's funny oh you know what like 
Seems like shortcuts that came from apps aren't working. So what I tested were shortcuts that came out of the Siri shortcuts app, the formerly workflow app. Oh yeah. I see and saying, I just yeah. assumed, oh, it works. So it must, they must work. Right. And no, no, no. I'm trying to use shortcuts that work with, uh, that were donated from other apps. And uh, those don't yeah. seem to be working at all. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it just worked for me just now because, because I just, I just used one of the ones that was like from that tutorial I was doing yesterday. It, it, it um, you know, see, so you say time to write and then it launches the app right to a, like a brand new open document like a new document kind of thing right and that worked because that that's one of the intents that you don't or is an intent i guess that you donate to the to the workflows right or whatever yeah. you call it in, in my case i tried two that should work one from uh walmart's app and one from the google assistant app and neither one of those worked they did really rather oh, I unexpected see. Okay. thing hmm. interesting maybe it's hit and miss who knows because uh, i think that that um, joe joe and Rene ritchie and uh, federico vitici had mentioned that um it was hit and miss it wasn't affecting everybody, right? So maybe sporadic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there must be federated servers across the world on doing this stuff, right? One would think. Uh, the next thing I posted here was that uh, I think this just came out too today, the iOS 12.1.1 and uh, macOS 10.14.2 have brought real-time tech support to Wi-Fi calling, which basically means, I mean, they, 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 it's based on accessibility. There's um, uh, text TTY, I think it's like text-to-voice or something technology. It's been around for a long time in telephone technologies, um, and you can you can enable that in your app or in, or in your phone, I should say. And uh, apparently today, um, what that basically means is that when you start typing a message, rather than seeing that little um, bubble with the ellipsis in it that sort of animates, you would actually see the characters appearing on the other person's phone as you're typing. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a nice to have thing. It's, it's, I don't think it's, for me, it's not really critical. I mean, it's, it, it's kind of nice to be able to type your text and then check for errors before you send it actually. Right, uh, right. So I don't know. Is this something that would be useful for either of you guys? I mean, I don't know. It's a- I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously it's useful to people who are, who are, who can't, you know, hear or talk on the phone right but uh right but well but i mean how much more useful is it than just a regular text it's true but there always seems to be a delay though when you don't you find yourself when you're chatting with somebody and you're waiting for the reply and you just look at that little bubble and watch it animate for you know 30 seconds or a minute that's or true that, well i always thought it's because they were typing and correcting or changing their mind maybe not right yeah yeah i don't know well i mean obviously apple's polling the device or the app is sending mm-hmm. a ping to apple to say i'm still there's something happening with the keyboard right so, mm-hmm. yeah but this is using a yeah called a tt RTT relay call. I think it is, right? Yeah, and it looks like 711. Is that like this? I guess that must be the standard service for, for this kind of thing. It piggybacks on the phone technology, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, RTT relay call, it says here. Interesting. Well, I, I wonder if there's a charge for that, too. Hmm. Well, it's an interesting thing that's just rolled out. I guess they talked about it. Did they talk about this in um, WWDC? I don't remember. No. Yeah, I really don't remember it being mentioned. Right. Okay. Yeah, they're also talking about the, uh, hap- the new haptic touch features for iPhone XR and, and that experience. And uh, eSIM, which we already talked about with uh, the AT&T release. And that's that one. Uh, yeah, it looks like I don't care about Windows 10. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jaime, why don't you tell us about uh, the scammy iOS apps? Yeah, this is one that I think I saw even on sort of normal news channels and not just, um, you know, tech news like, like we were talking about here. Um, apparently, there were apps in the App Store, I believe they've been removed as of uh, this recording, that would try to trick users into using the Touch ID 
system in particular to pay for like ridiculous in-app purchases, like $99 in-app purchases that to be clear, is just a straight up scam and say, Oh, like we can personalize your fitness profile. Just hold your thumb, <laughs> hold your fingerprint on the home button. And, and we'll do, you know, we'll do the scanning, which, you know, to average everyday folks wouldn't sound unreasonable. Yeah. Is it any different than the blood pressure machine at Walgreens? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it works. And of course, folks out there are shaking their heads. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that, yeah, that's kind of how touch ID authentication works. And you can buy things from the app store. You can buy in-app purchases using that scheme. And th this article here goes into more in-depth on like additional tricks that they, uh, these apps are doing. Right, but like the, the fact of the matter is you got to you gotta watch out for this sort of thing. Be, be, be very clear before you put, you know, like don't rest your finger on the home button. Free device has it. Um, if you have a face ID enabled device, you are less susceptible to this, assuming you haven't messed with the defaults because you have to uh, double click the home, the sorry, the sleep wake button, I think they call it, or mm. the Siri button. I forgot what they renamed it to the side button. And uh, there was one news channel that said, oh, like you need to make sure you have this this setting on your face ID device. It's like, well, no, I mean, if, if you undid it, sure. But by default, it is pretty secure. So I'm not sure how the scammers will will deal with that. But not everybody has a uh, an iPhone 10 or a 10R, 10S, 10S Max. So be careful out there. And, uh, you know, the, the sort of bigger thing here is people are wondering like, well, how did this get through App Store review? And can pretty much guarantee that there is no way that's the way the app appeared to Apple's reviewers, right? right like they're yeah. clearly doing stuff, you know, either server-based techniques where, okay, you know, have it set to this mode and then have it set to the other mode once it gets approved into the app store. Or right, yeah. as some other folks have been speculating, maybe they did like, remember we talked about Uber many moons ago doing this trick of if you realize that it's very likely to be Apple, either through geolocation that says, hey, look, dummy, it's in the Bay Area. Maybe that's in our, our app store app hasn't been approved yet. Maybe it's Apple that's looking at it. Or some other folks said maybe it was looking for um, network activity coming from particular IP addresses known to be in the Apple subnet. I don't know what it is. I certainly don't recommend that you go and try to do that because it's it's awful and immoral and probably illegal. Again, <laughs> we're not lawyers but uh, or prosecuting attorneys, but uh, please don't do this and uh, let your friends and family know to watch out for scams and let them know what can and can't be done with these sorts of things. Well, there was that talk by that uh, gentleman uh, who was formerly at the App Store. Um his name is Philip Shoemaker, and I talked about him, you know, last year when, or in April, I guess, when I, when I did the review of the of that thing. He talked about a number of different ways that that people try to scam Apple. Like one of them is, like you said, the using you know Cupertino, and and they've added scanners to the review process. Apparently, according to his story, that you know looks for things where they're looking checking for the IP. But um, yeah, it could be any number of things that they're doing. Like even um, you know when you create a review uh, and you give a login that says you have to use this login to to as a demo test or whatever and they you know, who knows they could have like looked looked for that user to log in and then disable the feature or something but um and i guess i guess so in the face id world you have to tap double tap the the sidebar button to to finish your purchase even though you're looking at it i guess that's how they get us to authenticate like look at it to authenticate but then double tap the the sidebar so that's just how this app broke down but um yeah it's kind of kind of scam i guess they, they hid the screen that would say you're paying 99 dollars to apple for this thing you know touch hit the touch bar they could have just animated that off the 
the screen, I guess, right? Yeah, and I, I do know there's ones, I can't remember if it was this particular one, where they'll, they'll give you this screen that has continue with subscription. Right, yeah. And maybe some other option that's like, pay more now. And then it waits like five to ten seconds before it slowly fades in a close button. And most users right. aren't going to like sit there and watch and wait. So they're like, ah, I'm panicking. I don't know. I'm not very technical. What do I do? I guess you hit the continue button. Sure. So it's, it's, a, it's a whole right. series of scams that are, you know, scam techniques that are being put together here to cheat people out of their money when it really comes yeah, down to it. Yeah, but if you think about it, even if even if the app stays on the app store for like half a day, you could potentially get quite a few users, right, uh, to fall into this trap. Like there are billions of users, or mil- I guess millions of hundreds of millions of users out there, right? Yeah. And I know it's not going to be always feasible to do this because I assume a lot of these folks are doing, you know, extra scammy things like, you know, identity theft and other bits and stolen credit cards and other bits to make it so that it's really hard to, to get a hold of these folks. But I really would like to see Google and Apple really get more invested in helping law enforcement track down these people. Like I'd like to see these people, you know, seeing justice. There's also, we want to get our app through the review process in a, in an expedited manner, right? We all like love the two, three hour reviews as opposed to the 10 day reviews we used to have, right? When Apple was combing through our apps with a fine tooth comb, but, um, or presumably, um, you know, now, now the review process has been automated and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of streamlining has been put into place, but, um, this is the danger of, of going a bit too quick is, is people can find ways to, to get around the system. And I'm sure like, I mean, you're kidding yourself. If you think they did, it, it was a one and done kind of attempt. They probably have 10 apps on the app store that are, that are doing various things, you know, and then, and as they find one, there's 10 more being, you know, going through review, review process to continue on their, their, um, money-making ventures. Right. So that's the trouble. People, people are, some people are just nasty people. They just, they take advantage of, of systems and try and break in any way they can. Right. Absolutely. That's my polite way of saying that. Cause I have another phrase for that. <laughs> All right. I guess we're at the pick part of the show. So we can go around the table as we usually do and see if anybody has any picks. I got a couple, um, do you want me to go first, first, Hammy, or do you want to go? Go for it. All right. So I got a couple. Um, this was a, a quick little video for, on Twitter from Jordan Morgan, um, uh, reminding us some, some of the key, some, some of his favorite keyboard shortcuts. We've talked about some of these in the past. Um, that uh, some of, a couple I didn't know about, but uh, it's a it's a thread you can follow. Um, so the first one is Command Shift, and then the uh, the uh, what's it called backslash, um, and that will uh, show you all your tabs, kind of like a like a, a mission control kind of view where you get, just get a, a snapshot of each one uh, so that toggles back and forth. Another one that we've talked about before is uh, using you know the commands to close the sidebar so you get the full standard editor in the center pane, uh, take up the full screen you know by closing off the, the console and the navigation and the inspector panes. Um, another one is uh, left square bracket and command right square bracket to change views as well. Um, one that we've talked about before, one of my favorite ones is if you're in the middle of a file or if you're in the middle of a file and you want to find out where it is in the project uh, navigator on the side. Um, maybe you got there by you know, clicking around on things. Uh, if you commit command shift J will uh, open that or select that, the file that you're in in the in the project navigator on the side. Command shift O, I think a lot of people use that one. Uh, very similar to spotlight search, but inside of Xcode, you can just start typing a method name or a class name and it'll and it'll give you a short list of things that match. Kind of like a like a uh, like a spotlight search, I guess. Um, this is an old one from Objective C. I, I kind of kind of miss this one, but commit uh, control command and the up key would, would switch you back between the header file and the implementation file. But, you know, maybe pe- people might still be writing with uh, Objective-C, but that was, a, that was a good one. I used to like that one a lot. And I'm, it, 
kind it of does something kind of similar in Swift, but it feels a whole lot less useful in that it mm. redu- it gives you a, a view of your Swift file that's like as if it was a header. Well, the, so you don't yeah, see the that, that's the dynamic header file. But you can if you're if you're doing any bridging and you want to see how to call a method from uh, the Objective C side, that's what that's useful for, right? Because then you can see what the actual what what um, your app sees as as method calls from the Objective C side. I forget to call it like a dynamic header or something like that. You know, Greg Greg named it mm-hmm. once for me. That's useful. I use that a lot because you know we have that old code hanging around. I have a lot of I have still have apps in, in Objective C. I was telling somebody the other day. I think I actually have an app that's on the App Store right now that doesn't use that uses uh, manual memory management. You know, still out there. People are still downloading it. Still runs. <laughs> anyway, that's my first pick. <laughs> yeah, the some of these I definitely use um, on a day to day basis. The Command Shift J for the navigator to, to show the file, current file in the navigator, as well as Command Shift O to get the quick find. The one I didn't know about that I, I will definitely commit to muscle memory is the number three, the toggle tabs left and right, mm-hmm. uh, command plus left or right square bracket. Um, and the, I think the use case that'll be for me is that I have a behavior setup in Xcode where when um, I hit a breakpoint, it will open up a new tab, title it debug, and then it sets things up in the way I want to be debugging things. Um, and I really but, hate yeah, having yeah. to take my hands off the keyboard to navigate. And I didn't know that that was one. So switching back and forth between what was I doing before and what's going on in the debugger will be immediately useful to me. Like yeah, that's it. That's it. Keypad works in, in browser tabs too, I think in Safari and Chrome uh, as well. It's not quite as useful sometimes if you're in the middle of a text block, but you, I think you can use that to switch between tabs in in uh, in Safari and Chrome as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about, you're talking about, the, you must've set up a, a debug um, thing in your, um, what do you call that, in, inside of your preferences where instead of showing or taking you into a debug view in the current one you're in, it opens a new debug window. That was something you had to do to your configuration to do that, right? Yeah. And, and very similarly, I, I think I've mentioned it on the show before. I also have another behavior or two behaviors for tests where if the tests pass, it gives the little, I think it's the glass sound that goes ding. Right. And if um, if the tests fail, it runs the uh, command line uh, option of uh, the say command. And I forget which, which voice I liked and says, test failed. Oh, so right. Okay. I can go off in the kitchen and make a sandwich while the tests are running and I can hear before I get back to my desk whether things have gone well or not. That, that's using, is that using an audio breakpoint? I, I do use audio breakpoints, but this, I believe, I, I don't have my, my setup right in front of me, but I, I do believe it was a behavior. Right, behaviors is the word I was looking for too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So my second one here is kind of a lost leader kind of or clickbaity kind of title and it's it's talking, it says, run Mac OS on the iPad. And they've got a picture of an iPad Pro in a in a stand sitting on top of a Mac Mini that should give you a clue. Um, and it talks in the article. It talks about using uh, iPad Pro to um, as if you're running Mac OS on the iPad Pro. But the secret sauce here is that it, they're actually talking about Luna Display on the Mac Mini, so that you're actually controlling the um, you're controlling the the Mac with this virtual screen, which you can run on an iPad Pro with the Luna Display tool and and the software. Uh, you need a Bluetooth keyboard to to do a lot of the commands and a, and a trackpad. Like a Magic Trackpad would, would be good too, but you and or if you but if you have the Apple uh, keyboard that comes with the um, I think smart keyboard they call it I think or whatever that comes with the iPad Pro you can use that as well as as your keyboard and you can you know you can walk across the room or you know and just continue to use the Mac Pro but it's kind of it's interesting to see Mac OS running on uh, iPad Pro but yeah so it's kind of a like I said it's clickbaity kind of article but when I think I mentioned last week that I have the the Thunderbolt version of um, Luna Display and I've ordered a USB C version from um, from Black Friday. Set 
sale. So kind of cool tool. Um, one thing I don't have a key, I don't have a like I don't have a keyboard setup right now with my Mac, Pro, my iPad Pro. So I have to use the keyboard uh, display from the control panel or from preferences, keyboard preferences, you know, the keyboard viewer to do any typing. So that's kind of not super intuitive. It would be nice if they if they let you bring up the um, the keyboard from uh, the iPad to do this, but you know the virtual keyboard because there's a lot of things you can't do on a Mac without a keyboard, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting here of, of, of what was done. I um, even just looking at the photo, it seems kind of cool. It's like a weird little iMac. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, and, and if I think there's a picture further down where he's got it uh, sitting on the sitting on the couch. Oh yeah, he's got he's away from the away from the Mac Mini, and he's just uh, using his using his pencil on the because uh, you don't have pencil support on a Mac. So here you've got you know the ability to use pencil as an inter interface with uh, with the Mac OS operating system as well. That works pretty well. I've tried that too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I do have a Bluetooth keyboard here somewhere. I should just crack it and break it, break it out of the box. And and of course my Mac, my uh, I have the Magic um, Trackpad, which is already already hooked up to my Mac. So I, could, I guess I could use that too as well. But anyway, it's just uh, if you're looking to impress your friends and you know uh, fool your friends at home with uh, with your iPad Pro running Mac OS, <laughs> you can seem like a real hacker. And my last pick is related again to and this is my pick from a couple of weeks ago. Is talking about running the uh, virtual Mac uh, environment on running um, classic Mac on my on my iPad Pro. So I've been running System 6 on my uh, my uh, iPad Pro, and uh, I wanted to get Dark Castle going, so I downloaded an image of the Dark Castle uh, floppy disks, but it didn't have a system on it. So um, if you know anything about uh, running Macs off of floppy disks, back in the day, you had to have a, the inside of a system folder, there was a file called System, and it was System, and I think maybe Finder, you had to have two of those on a floppy disk along with the uh, the binary for the app, and then, then when you put the disk into, um, when you put the, the floppy disk that had that into your Mac and started up the Mac, it would it would uh, start the Mac up using you know basically using the toolbox and the ROM, and then it would run your app directly. So it was like you you had one single purpose machine; it would only run that one particular app. Um, but if you had a 800k or a 1.4 mega sorry 1.4 kilobyte um, floppy disk, you could uh, use this the uh, a regular system disk and, and install a startup. So with this Mac virtual environment that I was talking about last couple of weeks ago, um, and I'll put a link in the show notes. You can actually create a you can create a disk image, or you can create a small twenty megabyte uh, hard drive, if you will. And you can put it. You can using that um, floppy disk image, you can install a, a, an operating system for uh, that will run that will boot the Mac up and run it correctly, right? Run run all the tools you need. So you can either do a full install of, of whatever Mac you you want to use, or you can also do what's called a minimal install, which is what you used to use on a floppy disk. And so you can do minimum install for any Mac, and then it doesn't matter if you're using the image for a one twenty eight or a plus or this one actually has support for Mac 2, which technically means you can run color on it. I haven't tried it yet myself, but because like Mac 2 was the first color Macintosh. But yeah, it's been, so I, I actually cranked up Dark Castle and I started, uh, tried to play it. But uh, like I said before, I didn't have my keyboard set up, so I couldn't navigate because you do Dark Castle, use, use the, the mouse to fire uh, at the at the enemies, but to navigate on the screen and use the A key and the D key to, you know, move left and right and back and forward and all that kind of stuff. So um, just, but yeah, it's just, you know, going, going back in time and playing Dark Castle on my Mac. And it's a, it's amazing, um, you know. The, the it's super responsive. I mean, it's unbelievably responsive on on uh, the, the iPad Pro because of the the horsepower of this computer compared to the old, you know, clunky classic Macs that we used to run on. But uh, yeah, it's like you know, like it's so responsive. It's it's like nice. Like you know, you hit the you hit the menu bar to bring a menu down, and you slide your finger down, and it just like it responds like you know instantaneously, like no lag. Where back in the day, we used to have tons of lag depending on on the power of your machine, right? So, so yeah, I mean, if you're really interested, if you're interested in running retro uh, classic Mac systems. Um, you know, I started with System 6 myself back in 
1999. So I'm coming up on my 30th year, I guess, right? Um, but yeah, this is um, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. You know, you need to add some serious shortcuts to. to <laughs> well, I heard those aren't working today, though, Mark. <laughs> Launch Dark Castle. Exactly. Yeah, we used to joke about that when when Macintosh first came out. We like, people would, people in your, your cubicle would say erase hard drive, and then yeah, <laughs> start erasing your hard drive. Yeah. I have to get the talking moose going. I have I have a, I have an image of the talking moose here somewhere backed up. So I have to try and get that going on, on my iPad one of these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I missed the talking moose. It was cool. And remember the after dark after dark uh, screensavers and stuff like that. Yeah, with the toasters and all that. Yeah. So I mean the puzzle the puzzle app. If you were bored, you just open the puzzle app and play with that for a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. So honey, you got a pick for us? Yes, it is another in the series from Apple's machine learning blog. In this case, it is entitled "Optimizing Siri on HomePod in Far Field Settings," and uh, that's sort of a real fancy way of saying how did Apple make it so that the HomePod is a, a, a truly, really magical experience when it comes to the way that you can just seamlessly use Siri on HomePod. So I think I mentioned this before uh, many moons ago when I first got the HomePod, but I was very surprised that unlike the Google Home or the Amazon Echo, which both really, really struggle not to hear you in sort of normal situations, but if you say, hey, play some music and crank it up, you know, you're, you're really jamming. And then you want to tell them, okay, stop or set a timer. You have to scream at those things because you're pumping out a lot of music from the very device that is supposed to also use its microphone to listen to you. Right. Okay. And the HomePod puts out beautiful, powerful audio. And you would think, well, I have to scream at it too, right? Like, no, no, you don't. You can practically whisper at the thing from like a hundred meters away. Not really, really? but wow. it really, really feels like that. Even when it's cranked up really high, you can speak like a normal human being instead of a person in a, you know, a factory or right next to the speaker at a, you know, concert or something. And it just works and it's cool. And there's a very long article here with a fair amount of math, graphs, charts. But if you want sort of the TLDR of how it ends up working, uh, not from a technical sense, but in terms of like, how is it that Siri is able to actually understand you? Go way down to the section called audio samples, where they give you example audio that you can listen to of uh, Siri commands being committed to in very challenging environments. Like um, there's reverb or what are the other options here for the examples? Uh, background noise from a dishwasher, uh, loud playback music, um, a command recorded in the presence of interference from other people talking. And you can listen to the original audio and you can listen to what all their filtering and machine learning based techniques have turned that audio into so that they can say, yep, that's the command that we're looking for. It's really pretty shocking. Cool, yeah. It's quite a, it's quite a lengthy one. You might want to have a sandwich and a cup of coffee with this one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. That's one of the things about amazing about human speech is that you can be in a noisy nightclub and you can, uh, I think through a combination of, of looking at somebody and, and, you know, watching them, you can you can hear what they're saying and they're, they're like literally screaming at you uh, to, to be heard, right? But we still have the ability to understand what's being said to us, whereas I'm sure for machines it's it's way tougher because just a blah of noises, right? Like, cocktail, does, it, does it say that it... Party effect, right? Sorry? The cocktail party effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can exactly. focus in on, on what someone is saying and ignore all the sounds, filter out all the sounds around them, even though they're pretty loud. Right. So does it say here, Jaime, that, that um, it knows what audio it's putting out and so it, it sort of separates out the leftover noise to, to pick up the voice? Is it something like that? That's sort of what I initially thought. It, it really goes further than that because um, that sounds like an easy one, right? That was like, you know, um, backseat like driver diff, right? version of like, but why don't Google and Amazon just say, look, you know what audio signal 
signal you're pumping out and there already is a technique to use um what is it noise reduction or like right, head, yeah, uh, yeah. Like noise canceling phones like why don't you just pump out the same thing right just choose an opposite wave so that you can and not actually pump it out but say all right if i was getting this audio and i know i'm pumping out this audio what does the reduction look like at that, that point so it's, it's more than right. just that yeah that's cool it's like the reverse of those i don't know if you've seen those videos where they they do an isolated bass track off like a who song you know with john and still playing just the bass line have you seen those yeah those are really weird when you when you know a yeah. song really well yeah and you hear just the singular voice singing yeah or the singular instrument playing yeah well it's funny as, there's a, a bandpass filter though isn't it maybe i don't know <laughs> not learning anything probably mm. just a narrow band around the frequencies of the bass or whatever yeah there's an interesting podcast i've been listening to where um this guy i'm trying to find his name here he um he breaks down the parts of a song like and he knows how to play all the parts of the song so he breaks down the song into its uh, fine art parts and then plays them for you so you can hear um you know how a solo is played or a bass line or whatever you can find him here in my uh my youtube channel hmm. is that like those guys who will um either do all the instruments independently for i'm thinking of like in my case for my youtube watching habits uh like video game music um or uh, the other version where they'll do an acapella but with themselves and they'll have you know you can just sort of listen to the gun go boop 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 because there's like an under an underbeat right. and then there's another version you know another recording of himself where he's singing the main light you normally hear and some of the underlines it's kind of weird but that's what i'm envisioning it's like a like a brady bunch video of like all of these different videos playing at the same time that come together because he's done the isolation within each um, each of the frames right. oh i see what you're saying yeah 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 oh, I, oh yeah i've seen i've seen people do that there's a couple of bands have been, or a couple of yeah, I guess bands or, or podcasts another podcast i'm watching where they cover tunes and they get like you know eight or ten musicians and they squish them into this little basement studio and they go through and they reproduce all these uh, classic um, classic songs you know like queen bohemian rhapsody and that kind of stuff i find this guy where the heck is he you know i've liked him my likes as it were maybe i didn't like him hmm pretty sucky part of the show well while i'm looking hey i mean i guess that's it for the week so have you if you want to find you on the interwebs where would they look i'm on twitter is at the dev with the hair all right and mark if people want to get in touch with you mark r at smapsoft.com all right i am tim mitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine and that's the best way to find me so until next week we'll say bye-bye bye bye if you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
All right, so one podcast I was talking about is... I just saw it here a second ago. Where'd it go? Um, oh, yeah, it's called Band Geek by uh, Bran- Brandon Elthbridge. They do a bunch of, you know, Queen songs and all the classics. Why can't I find this guy? Huh. Maybe it's on my iPad. Oh, well, he'll come back. What else is going on this week? Headed to Florida on Friday. Oh, yeah? Days. Yeah. Cool. Before. For fun. Yeah, this is my yearly uh, football pilgrimage where I meet up with some old friends who are all from Boston area and we go to a New England Patriots game at somewhere, some city in the country. Have I never told you about this? Yeah, I think I did last year. Yeah. 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 So we do this pretty much every year. So this year we're going to Miami. Should be fun. Be nice and warm. Except it's supposed to rain the day of the game. Thunderstorm. <laughs> 80 degree thunderstorms today. Yeah. Which would be kind of bizarre. Huh. 80 degree thunderstorm? Like a summer? Like a summer? Summer sun shower? Yeah, I know. Oh, hmm. I just found out maybe going to Hawaii in uh, April. Yeah, nice. In fact, I think I am Ooh. going to Hawaii. Hmm? Wow. Nice. Yeah. Have you been? I've never been. No, it's sort. It's sort of on the. It was. It's. I wanted to go, but it wasn't really on the bucket list, and it's sort of on the side bucket list. But uh, it's definitely yeah, worth a, going to for sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a family event coming up. So yeah, which island are you going to go to? Do you know? Uh, I don't. I thought it was the big island, but I just let me just see what the ticket says. It looks like it might be a bunch of um, so the big Kal- 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 Kahului or whatever. Let's return to Toronto. Which what? K A H U L U I. That's the airport, I guess, right? Kal- Kahului. I don't know. Uh, Kauai is that the one? Maybe Kauai is an island. Yeah. K U K A U A I. Yeah, it looks like um, I don't know what these tickets are. I got three three different itineraries, and I think we're doing some weirdness. So there's like uh, WestJet from Maui oh, to Vancouver. Is Maui, nice. Yeah. So going from um, uh, Toronto to Vancouver, and then four hours later flying from Vancouver to to uh, Kauai. Nice. Yeah. So well, Carol likes Vancouver volcanoes. So you know if you well, the, if I, the volcanoes on the Big Island. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Carol likes volcanoes. Maybe she didn't tell her son that, but you know. Mm. Yeah. Cool. I'm have you ever been there? I have not. Oh, you should. should. Definitely, definitely would like to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, like I said, it's sort of on the the side bucket list. You know, kind of like it would be nice to go to one of those places. But you know, mm-hmm. I guess it's like you know, like if a, if a band was coming through, you got to go see them just to see them. You know. So I yeah, hear it's nice. I've been doing that for a couple of years now. Any any band that uh, that is getting on in years, yeah. If I have any interest whatsoever in seeing them, I'll go see them because you might never get the chance again. Yeah. By the way, speaking of, of that kind of thing, um, CBC was playing Uncle John's band the other day. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. did they all? Did they? I'm talking about Grateful Dead here, but did they all sing at the same time, or were there like a couple of singers, and they would sort of sing over top of each other? There were multiple singers, and they did harmony when they. Well, you know, they they went through different phases of uh, quality level, I would say, uh, depending on who was you know in what medical shape or otherwise. Uh, but when the when things were on, they could do actually really good harmonies. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so Uncle John's band was from an album called Working Man's Dead. Uh, came from 1970. That was kind of their acoustic phase, and they did a lot of harmonies on that one. Right. So yeah, so Jerry would do harmony, and and Bob Weir and mm. uh, Big Pan at the time, even Philesh would do a little bit of harmony, so they could do a four part harmony. Yeah, yeah, not an easy thing to do, I guess. No, it's not easy at all. I can I can barely do one part harmony. Yeah, I can do the one part. Harmony. <laughs> I was singing with somebody the other day, and he was doing like the multiple. He was trying to do that, and uh, I just ended up following him. <laughs> yeah, you know, down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I was watching uh, that the podcast guy I just talked about a few minutes ago. He he did a, an hour long show where he did he re, re, re-recorded like live all the parts from um, oh, Beach Boy song uh, which one was it now I forget but but it was like a short you know two minute song but he did all he went through all the parts and all the harmonies it sounded really weird and then of course you know did the Brady Bunch kind of screen that Jaime was talking about where they had the multiple heads and guitars and stuff playing mm-hmm. yeah. I can't find this guy man I thought I bookmarked him or something hmm. pretty interesting stuff like he's he's a, he's a, obviously like a been in the business 
business for a while, and uh, but he's got this. He's got like a hundred episodes at least of uh, it's like a, pod, a video podcast that he does breaking down the songs. Of course, I you know to search for it, I said you know how to play uh, Hotel California on guitar, and there are like a thousand videos on how to do that. Right? Mm. <laughs> Let me see if I can find Rush or something like that. How to play Rush on guitar? Oh, look, there's Alex Lyson. Hmm, weird. What's happening with you, Jaime? Basking in the glory of the NHL coming to Seattle in oh, 2021. Yeah, for sure. I tried to talk to you about that earlier, but you didn't hear me. Or maybe I had my finger on the wrong mute. Button. Yeah, maybe you're on mute, and I, did, I just didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like three years we got to wait for hockey to, to hit you guys. So you got three years to study hockey, I guess, right? Yeah, I get to learn even the tiniest amount on it. And, um, I'm sure they'll name the team relatively soon and start selling merchandise. They got any ideas what names they'll come up with for that team? I saw a list somewhere. I, I don't know if it was like a voting, you know, fan voting list, but yeah. there were ones like the the Emeralds, the I think the Metropolitans might have been on there too. Right. Uh, Totems, um, Orcas, all sorts of other you know, Northwesty sounding things. Hmm. The Kraken. I think was one that a lot of folks the Seattle like. Kraken. Yeah. Like the Kraken, the, the sea monster. Yeah. Yeah. Release the Kraken. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm kind of partial to Yeti. I think the plural of Yeti is Yeti. Yeah. Uh, the is that Seattle you have Yeti. like a abominable Yeti, Yeti people and abominable I mean, you, it, it, yeah, it would make sense. Cause we've, you know, we've got that sort of wooded environment. Um, the Seattle supersonics basketball team had yeah. Squatch as their, uh, their mascot. He was a, a Bigfoot right. Yeti and we, we could do moose or something similar because we were kind of in that region. Um, the Seattle Mariners have the Mariner moose as their mascot. Mm-hmm. Um, I am kind of hoping we get something really weird and cool like the Philadelphia Flyers with uh, Gritty. That came out of nowhere and is suddenly super popular. Oh, the Gritty, gritty, gritty monster thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a weird, like, quintessential Philadelphia thing that, you know, Philadelphia fans hated Gritty when it got announced. And oh, yeah. then the rest of the world made fun of it. Right. And so in some sort of weird circle the wagon, solidarity, underdog, us against them sort of thing, yeah. they felt very insulted. And now they love Gritty. They've embraced him. Huh. Interesting. So speaking of dinosaurs, uh, Queen apparently is coming back around with uh, Adam Lambert. Mm. Um, I don't know if I want to see that. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, yeah. I posted a link, and I think, on Facebook of uh, the guy that they used for the movie. Have you guys seen the movie yet? Have not. Yeah, there's, have a, there's a um, Canadian guy that uh, has does he does like a almost bang on... Uh, Freddie Mercury hmm. um, and he has a show he tours around and does, does like Queen songs and stuff like that but uh, they use his voice plus Freddie Mercury plus uh, Remy Malik to, to blend to make the, the movie but uh, hmm. yeah, there's a video of him singing uh, just on a piano singing um, Bohemian Rhapsody it's like amazing you know, with likely proper enunciation and stuff I'm gonna see Kansas in a few months oh, yeah oh yeah yeah I've never seen them live so might as well yeah yeah so they are they all together again or I wonder I, I don't know who from the original band is left. It could just be one person for all I know. Yeah, well, the um, the singer, I've forgotten his name now, um, he did an album with uh, Steve Hackett. I think Steve Hackett's second album, Please Don't Touch. Oh, really? He, he was the, on that? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was He was the, the main singer on uh, most of the songs on that one. Have you seen, have you got Please Don't Touch? Or Yeah, sure, yeah. Please Don't Touch. That's got to ama- Side B is amazing in that one with uh, Hoping Love Will Last. It's one of my, one of my favorite songs. Hmm. I saw, I've seen Steve Hackett a couple of times. I saw him play once with his brother and I've seen him twice with the Genesis stuff, right? Yeah, I've seen him twice as well. But he played in a small theater right. here back, you know, 10 years ago, uh, just with him and acoustic guitar, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Please don't touch it and all these other things come up. <laughs> Weird. I guess other people, other people are using the same name. Steve Hackett. Where'd it go? As soon as I say the guy's 
name, you'll know who I'm talking about. The Wikipedia page. Steve Walsh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he sang a bunch of the songs. And Richie Havens did one of the songs as well. Which is the song you like on Please Don't Touch? Uh, it's called Hoping Love Will, Hoping Love Will Last. It's a, it's, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. it's the first song on, the, on Side B, back when mm-hmm. albums had sides. And, um, albums? It, What's an album? Yeah. Uh, Randy Crawford is the female singer who sings that. And then it, ro- it goes right into the Please Don't Touch instrumental thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good album. It's, I was really disappointed when it first came out on CD because all of the songs segue into each other. Yep. And um, when they first put it on CD, they used to put like a like a two-second gap between each song. Yeah, each. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. So I actually burned my own copy without the segues in it, mm. you know, back when we could do that kind of stuff. All right. Um, Guitar Noir, the Steve Hackett disc. Sorry? Do you have, do I have uh, it? Guitar Noir, or, or have you heard it? I'm pretty sure I have all of his, yeah, most of his one. stuff, if not all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Spectral Mornings, I know I have that one. Defector, I know I have that one. Cured, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I have Cured. I might not. Cured, I don't have that one either. Bay of Kings, I have that. Bay of Kings Tokyo is a good album. Huh? Do you have the Tokyo tapes? Oh, yeah. Okay. I have the. I have a video of that, too. Yeah, I do, too, some more. Yeah. So, Bay of Kings is a good album. That's acoustic, I think, right? Two We Have Faces, I have that one. Momentum, I have that one. Time lapse, I don't know if I have that one. I have the live one. Tar Noir. Yes, I think I have that one. See, we have faces, that's for sure. Yeah. What's on that one? I can't remember. There was one really funny song. He was amazingly prolific, you know? Yeah, he was great. It's really too bad that, that uh, he didn't make all the money with Genesis, but you know, right. they were, in my opinion, they were much worse once he left. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he stretched the uh, stretched the envelope of what they were doing. For sure. Yeah, they, they went just all pop after he left. Yeah. They became the 80s pop band that everybody yeah. knows. Well, I think once Phil Collins got famous with his album, they, that's kind of the direction they kind of went in. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I know I have a have a box full of CDs behind me that I'm sure I've got all these in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it used to be hard to find. I don't know about you, for you, but they were hard hard to find for me. Well, it used. I think I've probably mentioned this before. It used to be that a lot of music was hard to find. And one of my favorite things yeah. used to be going to the used record store or, or used CD store and just digging through, hoping to find that golden nugget, you know, in the... In yeah, the, yeah, for sure. But now it's just everything is available instantaneously online, so it's not as fun anymore. Yeah, it's true. In fact, I bought my first Please Don't Touch uh, CD in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, when I was driving across Canada. You know, just sort of we were on the way, and, you know, we would stop into record stores and stuff on the way, because you never know, right? (laughs) Yep. And, uh, you know, you'd find these odd things. Like, actually, if you want to find, if you're looking for any Frank Zappa CDs, go to the Fredericton Mall in Fredericton, New Brunswick. There's a whole pile of them there. (laughs) But I haven't seen them anywhere else, you know. Mm. Myopia was the song that we used to like back in college. Right, right. Yeah, well, Myopia? Oh, the song, or mm-hmm. Steve Hackett's song? Steve Hackett, yeah. Cool. Get the CD. Heard that in a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, I continue to have upper respiratory problems here, so I, I gotta get off this call. All right. Because <laughs> I've been coughing, like, steady for a week. <laughs> All right. Well, feel better. Okay. All right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.